Are you satisfied with your understanding of sustainability? If not, like me, imagine a journey together, a pluralistic one, with innovators, startup, academia, NGO, all together looking for solution to the greatest challenge of our time. I'm Samuel Ettini, and this is the Sustainability Journey. Welcome to this new episode. Today, we are going to meet a fellow podcaster, somebody that in the middle of the pandemic decided to make an impact and stand out for putting their climate change and environmental news in a new, fresh and a political way. So I want to really welcome here, Ethan Brown. Thank you, Ethan, for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to have you to discuss how to communicate and really have this ex- sharing this experience of your podcast, which is a wonderful name, The Sweetie Penguin. I really like the freshness and the way you communicate with very important guests, the news. And you brought up a discussion about the challenges of our times. What is your journey uh, in sustainability and how you ended up being a podcaster, a full-time podcaster? So I was never an outdoorsy person growing up. I was inside all the time. I had no inherent interest in the environment, um, which I guess is kind of rare in our little community. But when I learned about climate change in like middle school, high school, I was kind of scared, but it wasn't interesting to me. It wasn't fun. And so I really struggled to actually learn more about it. I took an elective in high school on climate change, didn't really like it, just was struggling to get interested. But it was such an important issue, climate change, that I felt like I had to figure out a way to engage myself. At that point in time, I was applying to colleges to study film and television. I ended up going to Boston University to do that. And I was looking at, they had a minor in environmental analysis and policy. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll take a couple classes, like try to force myself to learn a bit more and see if I can get interested because I felt like I'm going to school to be a storyteller. I need a story to tell. And this is such an important story. And I finally started to get interested in some of these early college classes. And I think what it was is that I was so exposed to environmental news that really framed it as each issue has, like, here's the solution that we all have to do. And it was very, uh, the politics and the science and the facts and the problems and the solution, like it was all just jumbled together. And I think that made it overwhelming for me. And I just didn't like how politicized it was. And so taking some academic classes and learning how in fact, These problems are all just facts and science, but then the solutions conversation, there's a real variety that you can choose from. And there's some that might be more liberal, some that might be more conservative. You don't even have to use that language. Some, they can really be anything. And so I think that nuance and that variety really got me excited. I also came up in film and television doing a lot of comedy writing. So when I launched this podcast, The Sweaty Penguin, I was kind of able to combine all of those different skills, my comedy writing skills to make it less overwhelming and then talking about it in a way that would have engaged myself as a younger person where it's not so much like you need to be this nature outdoorsy person to care, but more just here's an issue, here's how it affects us and the environment, the economy, our health, our justice, our security, 
any which way you look at it. And then here's some solutions and you can consider these and choose what you like. I'm not going to tell you what the right solution is. Wonderful. It's really an interesting story. Actually, you ended up forcing yourself and, and getting a wonderful story. By far, it's a very successful one. It is also part of the PBS, Public Broadcasting Service in the United States. It's called the Parent and Promise that is dealing about the climate change. So can you tell us a bit more about why the Sweaty Tengen and which is the approach that you have decided to do for your podcast to communicate your idea? So our podcast format has two segments. There's an opening monologue that I deliver that is, I don't know if your listeners would be familiar with John Oliver, Hassan Minaj. These are comedians who do TV shows where they talk about various issues, but they intersperse jokes throughout the whole thing. So it's kind of a cross between comedy and journalism. So I'm in that space, not quite the same as them, but doing that where I talk about the issue. There's a lot of jokes interspersed. And like I was saying, there's also that very uh, problem solution framework where I cover the problem first, the facts, I'll say everything that you need to know about it. And then I'll get into the solutions and have the kind of variety that you can consider. Then the second segment is an interview with an expert. And we've had experts from 10 countries across five continents. We actually did have one from Kenya on, which was really fun. Those interviews have been with some really amazing professors from all over the world doing all sorts of interesting research. And that's really fun too, to be able to kind of translate what they're doing into something that us uh, non-scientists or non-professors can engage and uh, enjoy. Let me ask you, what is peculiar about your style? Because I'm sure people, they will ask the sweaty penguin, why this name, how did it come up? And which is your target that you are trying to focus with your podcast? I think our target is naturally younger people. I think over a majority of our audience is in the 18 to 27 age range. I think that's largely just out of the fact that we're writing comedy for that age. But obviously young people are also very much affected by climate change. I would argue older people are affected as well, but we're going to have to endure these effects for our whole life. So that's very fun for us. In terms of what makes us different, we're really putting a conscious effort into making the issues less overwhelming and politicized and more accessible and fun. And I don't think that's necessarily the goal of most environmental news. I can't tell you what the goal is, but I can say from reading it, I often come away feeling overwhelmed or depressed or just like this is some big political debate and I can't quite figure out what's fact and what's opinion. And I think there's a lot of people like myself want to kind of have that spelled out for them a little more, uh, be introduced to the issue in a way not going to kind of bombard them with politics from the get-go and just kind of break it down, say, here's the issue, here's what's going on, and then we can get into more of a fun debate later. That is very interesting because so you put the humor, the fun, and the discussion, and then you put the science and the debate. And what you say, the overwhelming, the part that is there about the work and the discussion that you are having, it is bringing to me how you can communicate environmental issues because you say that the politicization, the, the debate, and especially I think this one for the audience, 
I think it's peculiar maybe also as well of, of United States and the context that you are in. So can you explain a bit how is communicating environmental issues in the States? And, you know, I think they are, which are the main drawbacks? Also, that they are putting young people, you know, maybe to be a bit afraid of, a bit overwhelmed by the, the debate. The United States is seeing more and more impacts of climate change, of course. We're seeing a lot of wildfires on our West Coast and drought. We're seeing a lot of hurricanes and tropical storms on the East Coast, and we're plenty in between. So I think people are becoming more aware of climate change. I don't think there's quite the denialism conversation that there may have been 10 years ago or so when I was first learning about it. But we do have a very politicized outlook on everything. According to Pew Research Center, I believe from in 1994, it was around, it was 24% and 18% of Democrats viewed Republicans very unfavorably and Republicans viewed Democrats very unfavorably. In 2016, those numbers were up to 58% and 55%. And I imagine they would be even worse today. So when people are unwilling to engage with each other, unwilling to talk to each other, I feel that creates a situation where we're just not only unable to create policy and create solutions, but unable to agree on what the problems are and what the magnitude of the problems are. And I think just by opening up those conversations and trying to make that a little easier, you can make so much progress. If we can be on the same page about what our issues are, we may not disagree on the policy, but that's the conversation I want to have. If we can debate what the right solution to this problem is, ultimately we're in a good place. We're moving toward a solution as opposed to just being stuck, which is kind of where it feels like things are in the U.S. right now. That is a kind of even worrisome because the rift and the divide between the two opinions, it can be in really an hindrance to understand that is a common problem and they need a bipartisan approach because climate change does not affect you so because you are a Republican or because you are a Democrat. It really affects everybody. So what you are really trying to do, I think, is really important also to bridge this divide. And I think what you said, I want to really stress that because you can debate on the solution. Uh, you can discuss how. We, we can solve the problem, but not on the problem itself, because it's really the problem now is, is fact, is science. So then we can see how we can approach. Along this uh, one year and a half of your podcast, can you share a bit of stories that maybe they touched you and they have been a bit of, of impact? So what we did for our first few episodes, and then we started doing more uh, sporadically, is doing sort of bonus segments where we'd bring on two guests, one who's more liberal and one who's more conservative. And and the times we've done it, they would just be other college students around my age who were really not that familiar with environmental issues, very smart people, but that wasn't their expertise. And they would pick a previous episode that we had done and both listen to it. And then we just have a conversation about it. What I found from those conversations, not only would they come away agreeing on the problem, but they would very often start to agree on political approaches and solutions. And in just like 20 minute conversations, I was so enthused by that, that obviously I'm sure it's a little different for people who are friends with me and know me and trust me to uh, listen and just believe whatever I'm telling them. But I'm really encouraged by that 
because I feel like the approach that we're taking, if it can work in these small little conversations that we do and we have recorded, you can go listen to them very easily, then it could have a much wider effect. Wow. I mean, in 20 minutes, you managed to, to bring back together people and agreeing. That is a kind of an impact. It's really, I think, one of the, the best part that um, your podcast is doing, especially with young generation, you know, to recognize the problem. Uh, since you, you mentioned the episodes, can you share uh, with our audience some episodes that for you, you'll be worth it for somebody that say, hey, I'm tuning in, I'm I'm listening to Ethan now discussing about the sweet pea penguin. Let me, which, which will you recommend for our audience that they really also impacted you? I'll say we've done a very, very wide range of topics. We go from all different foods to all different animals to aspects of global governance to really all types of energy, uh, types of transportation, every topic you can think of that might relate to the environment and plenty that you might not have even realized linked to the environment. We just did an episode on influenza, which I had no idea had links to climate change, but it does. Um, in terms of ones I would recommend to a first-time listener, if you want to get started with just something that might hit a little closer to home, our episode on chocolate was a recent one that I found really, really interesting. Uh, we talked about uh, the majority of the world's chocolate is grown in Ghana and Cote d'Ivoire. And what's going on is, first off, climate change is affecting chocolate's ability to grow. But at the same time, you have a situation where the three, there's really just three companies that trade chocolate. They'll buy it from the warehouses that get it from the farmers, and then they'll move it through the supply chain. And when there's just three companies, what happens is they can pay whatever they want because who else are you going to sell it to? So they're paying ridiculously low prices, not free market at all. That trickles down to these farmers who are forced to take ridiculously low payments. And so in order to make a living, they're kind of forced to say, we're just going to grow as much chocolate as we can, which inevitably leads to issues like deforestation, like child labor and it actually turned out to be a bit of a sad topic. It was not easy to write comedy on. Uh, we did, but it was very, very interesting and eye-opening. I really liked that episode. In terms of other ones, I think our Tropical Cyclones episode was really interesting. Uh, we talked with uh, Susanna Camargo of Columbia University, who was one of the original uh, scientists to figure out the link between climate change and tropical cyclones back in the mid 2000s. So lots of great episodes to choose from. I'd say pick a topic that interests you and dive right in. I have seen you have wonderful guests. The last one was from Stanford Law and then you have uh, academic experts which are really putting science uh, and the facts on, on the table for, for people. You know, your podcast, I think started bootstrapping together, but, um, but then I think you on the way you got this important endorsement and you are working together with the PBS, which is in the United States is widely recognized as an institution which for high quality content and especially, you know, and quality. So I want to ask how this changed the way you work and then how this has also helped you to reach now the height and the thousands of downloads that you have now. It's still bootstrapping a little bit. This hasn't covered all of our costs. It's covered a 
good portion certainly allowed us to, I like to say now we're treading water as opposed to like just barely holding on for dear life. Um, but I'd really like to be in a place where we're kind of swimming. Uh, but yeah, Parallel Promise has been a fantastic partner. It's such an honor to see our episodes on pbs.org and have that affiliation. And what it's really allowed us to do is when we had that revenue, we were largely able to put it back into our team. I was able to start paying my team members for the work they're doing. I cannot yet uh, take money for myself, but I certainly hope to get there someday for this to be a sustainable thing that I can do full time. But in the meantime, I think that's been a big help because I have just such an amazingly talented group of people that I work with and always say I value talent so much. I just want to retain everyone I can and keep them happy and enjoying what they do. Uh, we're working on hiring a, another researcher or two right now to help us out. We got like eight applications and I was like pulling my hair out, feeling like I can only take a couple people because of financial restrictions, but I would love to have all of these people on our team. So that's certainly been a big help. It's also changed just our production process. We have to run more stuff through lawyers. We have to um, take some extra steps. We, But it also has, I mean, that kind of stuff sounds a little annoying, but there's also some stuff that I think has been a benefit. They want us to do a little more careful fact-checking, which I'm in the end, very glad that kind of got pushed on us because a lot of these issues are, there's a lot of different information out there and it's really important to get it right. And so having that new emphasis on actually sourcing every single statistic uh, visibly on our scripts has really forced us to say, we need to make sure we're getting everything correct. And multiple people on the team check every single fact now. And that's great for our listeners. That means you can really trust what we're saying. That is a, an important word. The quality of guests, the quality of information, and, and the quality of the podcast. That is also what I'm trying to work and, and really finding people that can give value. And, and you are doing a, a very good job for the people that are listening and then say, hey, podcasting, what is it and how it works? And can you give a, just a glimpse of, of the day? How is it? And then how you do it? And some, maybe even some, some tips for people that they want to also maybe start their own on, or, or just they're just curious. I was really fortunate to be good friends with uh, my friend, Frank Hernandez, who's now our uh, sound editor and producer. And I went to him when I first had the idea because I knew nothing about podcasts. At that point in time, I didn't even really listen to them that much. Now I do, but I didn't at the time. But this seemed like it fit the podcast format the best because podcast audiences generally skew a little younger. They skew a little more educated. And we were in the middle of a pandemic. So what else was I going to do? So... I reached out when I had the idea and I was like, hey, do you think we could do this? Can you help me? And he was uh, probably very bored, but graciously agreed to help me out. He was original team member. And so he really took over all the audio editing. And I think that's been 
a big help for me to be able to focus on the content and not worry as much about the technical side. So yeah, and then I brought in more people. So I'd say my biggest piece of advice is to ask for help if you're starting a podcast. Um, Obviously, folks like yourself are doing it solo and doing a really good job. Um, But as I'm sure you can attest, it's really, really hard to be a podcaster and especially solo. I have a hard time with a team. So I see a lot of podcasts just do like maybe five, seven episodes and then stop because they didn't realize how hard it was going to be. If you want a successful podcast, really, it's got to be weekly content or at least some cadence. Like I love you do the nines of the month, something like that. Um, You've got to obviously put a lot of time in, make sure the audio sounds pretty good and also bring something new. There's over a million podcasts out there. Like you need to have a reason for people to listen to you. I actually for a long time have made fun of like college white guys starting podcasts and then I ended up being one of them. But I really took care to be like, am I actually providing value with this or am I just listening to myself talk every week? And um, if I didn't feel like I was doing something special, I wouldn't be doing it, so. Yes, no, thank you so much. I think for for me, it's the the quality and getting guests because that is where you you can get to provide the value for the podcast. And, And I'm really glad to have for now, personally, from my personal experience, I can share it's it's been a very good um, journey because I got people from all over the world and very good and talented people like you that you have decided in the middle of the pandemic to go and and go out of the world and be and you have by far a successful podcaster now. That leads to the next question. You have reached the PBS. You are now endorsed. So you have now a badge of honor of quality and people are listening to you. Big experts are coming, big names, Stanford and universities. So where do you want to take it? How? What is the way forward for the Sweaty Penguin? Short term, we're actually working uh, this spring to develop a new second weekly episode called Tip of the Iceberg. Um, And we've released a few of these uh, just to kind of get a feel for it. Basically, I'll be delivering a very short Uh, monologue on whatever the big environmental news headline of the week is and giving more of a take on it not necessarily just saying this is what happened but providing context and making some argument not a political argument just a argument about how we ought to look at this story and then the second segment is taking a question from our listeners. I really want to engage our audience more. And I think this is going to be a fun way to do that. Long-term, I want The Sweaty Penguin to be not just a podcast, but a news outlet, a media company that is creating environmental content that is less overwhelming and politicized and more accessible and fun. And what I hope comes of that and what I hope we can ultimately get into is using that content to promote engagement and perhaps conversations between people who might disagree with each other and having some civil discourse. Um, I think that I would love for that to be part of our vision. I could see some sort of website with all our news and all our podcasts and maybe videos and infographics and underneath there's comment threads or there's like 
you can sign up for a conversation or I don't know exactly what it looks like, but some uh, platform with this type of content that we're doing in all various forms for people to engage with and feel a little more comfortable talking about the environment. It's a, a great plan. I, I like the engagement with the audience and it's something that I think is, is a good recommendation also to, to try to discuss and see and to bring forward also the ideas and the discussion, also the feedback. And I like also the long-term vision and especially is in line with your objectives to be a political and trying to, to cut through the fog and then even go to the facts and discuss about policy and bringing together people from all sorts of the spectrum and of the arena, of the political arena and political thinking and just try, hey, what's the job to be done? Let us focus on the job let's, and we can get forward. I think some of these political debates are really happening in other countries too. So like, I think our, our podcast is about two thirds uh, US audience and a third abroad. And I think that um, even though I kind of talk from a US framework sometimes when I'm talking about those uh, kind of bipartisanship challenges, I, there are other countries that that's happening as well. So I think that what we're doing could apply more broadly. Definitely. I can see it in all over Europe. And, and I think also from my experience, sometimes the problem can be politicized and uh, it, it is good to remove those layers and really look at the facts and the solution to be taken. Itan, I want to ask you, which is a message since we are approaching the end of the episode, which is the message that you want to give to our listeners from your experience and from your work? First off, listen to our podcast. It's on any podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, pbs.org, all of that good stuff. Uh, you can also send in tip of the iceberg questions. You can do all of that. Second, I think it's really striking to me how environmental issues are not as political as they're made out to be. And we've kind of talked about this, but I think, for example, there's this environment versus economy idea that I think is very popular. And from all the research we do, I just don't find it to be the case. I find the opposite to be true. Um, first off, you think about how a hurricane or a wildfire or where you are a cyclone um, can cause so much damage and someone has to pay to clean that up. Certainly, it would cost a lot less to mitigate climate change than to have to clean up all of these disasters. But then even in the short term, if you look at energy sources like solar and wind are becoming increasingly competitive in the market. And then even more simply, like I talked about chocolate before, it's not a case of helping the environment is going to hurt the economy type of thing. We see the economic model is not a free market. It's kind of broken. And if you were to, not that this would be easy, but let's pretend there were a free market for chocolate where any lots and lots of small companies were buying chocolate from chocolate farmers, then you'd have a much more competitive price. The farmers would uh, be making enough money so they wouldn't go chop down forests. They wouldn't try to get child laborers and that would be fantastic. So you can see how the economy and the environment can really work together. And I think that is 
exciting. I think a lot of countries in the world are a little scared to approach climate change, both industrialized countries like the United States who might fear that they're gonna overregulate or something or uh, developing countries who are looking and saying, we've got a bunch of coal in our backyard. Why should we go buy this technology? Either way, the environment and the economy can really work together. There's a concept called sustainable development, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, that is all about that. So I think there's those synergies. You can say the same of the environment and health. You can say the same of the environment and social justice national security, peace, all these different things, uh, really, it all ties together. And it's not like you're battling one concern versus another concern. You can really integrate them together and solve everything. Thank you, Ita. It is also part of the mission of this podcast to show, you know, the business case of sustainability. And, and as you said, this dichotomy that was there sometimes put uh, uh, very strongly, does not hold even research in discussion. I really have, have appreciated the episode and I can also me join you saying, you know, j- jump and also dive and go, and, and go and visit the Sweetie Penguin and really appreciate the work and the wonderful episode we have produced uh, so far. I'm really grateful and thank you for being here with us and sharing your experience and your journey in the sustainability. Oh, thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for doing what you're doing. It's a great podcast. It's fantastic to be spotlighting uh, people in their journeys because obviously, like I said, mine was a little bit of a weird one, but um, it's so great to hear everyone's stories. So keep up the amazing work. Thank you, Itana. I appreciate it a lot. Thank you. Are you satisfied after this wonderful episode? Let's continue together our sustainability journey.